Welcome to Full Core Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Will, you're about to start junior year of college. That's right, Liam. And, and don't you miss those days of running the old Chi Chi? Oh, yeah. No, I miss the uh, EHS, uh, all that stuff that I met that we did at EHS. It was a lot of fun over there. Yeah, so do I. Coach Michael has gone a different path now, so we don't, we don't run the Chi Chi anymore. All right, boys and girls, today I'm joined by the first person to have had a brief brother previously on the show, brother of Clayton, Mr. William Butler. That's me. Glad to be here, man. Hey, thanks for joining the show. All right, on today's episode, college football is right around the corner. This is the first of three football-dedicated episodes. We begin today with the torn ACL sustained by DeMarcus Cousins. The Lakers center has now suffered a torn Achilles, a torn left quad, and a torn ACL within a little over a year and a half. William Knott Cousins has sustained this injury as well. Do you see him ever being that 28-12 player again? I don't. I, I've, been, I've been thinking about it. I don't see him as a 28-12 player unless he completely changes his game and becomes a, a post a complete just uh, jump shot uh, around the three-point center. And even and even doing that, and that takes away all of his rebounding. So I just I don't see him. I see him sort of maybe becoming more a little bit of like a um, like a Dirk type player, just sort of being able to sort of just post up and do a little bit of that. But I mean, I just feel bad for the guy just to not be able to have a full season for what is it, three years now or it's something? Going on the third year. I mean, it's just. Guys can't catch a break. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I mean, I mean, you're right. He's going to need to adapt his game. And well, first of all, I just want to say that after Kobe tore his Achilles, he was never the same again. And evidently, we saw a Boogie Cousins that was drastically different in the playoffs. Did we not? Mm-hmm. And yeah, we did. And, it, and, and the way that he was playing in the playoffs, I was actually, I actually liked that style that he was playing with. Where he was sort of being a little bit like a replacement Draymond, like a poor man's Draymond, Draymond Green for that Warriors team. I mean, and yeah, I mean, he was somewhat effective in most of the games he played, but he was horrible in the in most of the finals. And to to tear to tear your Achilles and to tear your ACL injury that Chris Porzingis has still not returned from, it's just so tough, especially when you're. Six foot eleven, and now that ball, now that post dominant post players in the NBA are so scarce now. I think the only real one now that now that Cousins has had all these injuries is Joel Embiid. So if he's gonna be anywhere close to twenty and twelve, he's gonna need to adapt his game to be sort of like a Dirk Nowitzki, or I see him being effective as a poor man's Draymond Green, like you said, but. I don't think he's ever going to be that 28-12, crash the boards, dominate the post player ever again. No, I'd agree with you there. If I were, if I was Draymond, if I was a Cousins, I would pair up with a KD as soon as I could, getting this rehab started. Get to Brooklyn? But, <laughs> no, not get to Brooklyn. Just make sure he's going to do the same rehab treatment. Just sort of getting all that stuff, just because it's the same, same height, same sort of body type. I mean, yeah, and not to mention KD and Boogie were two of the game's biggest stars and still are before they went down. So, yeah, tough stuff. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a tough one. 
It's a tough situation. Yeah, no kidding. Alright, well, it's not often you see a guy suffer so many serious injuries, so prayers up. I know a lot about this one, Will. Red Sox pitcher Chris Sale, in the midst of a terrible, terrible season, did pick up his 2,000th career strikeout faster than any player in history Tuesday night. It was one of few rays of sunshine in a season full of grays for Sale. But, Will, how big of an achievement is this actually for Chris Sale? I think it's, it's a big achievement. I think it's a massive achievement. But I do think that... It is, I mean, it's it's tough. I think that it's a big achievement for him to be able to do it, but I also don't know if what to do about it. Because, like you said, the Red Sox have been having a tough season all season long. Huh. Um, but at the same time, I think that that is a big achievement for him to be able to do. I mean, what do you think about it? I mean, I think that... Like I said earlier, it's one of the few rays of sunshine in the season full of grace. Hopefully, an achievement like this could get him on the right track. But I think it's a big deal because at this point in his career, he's only 30 and just signed a five-year extension. If you were to average 200, which he's gotten to this year for the next five seasons, that would put him at 3,000 strikeouts at the age of 35. And 3,000 strikeouts for a pitcher normally means Hall of Fame. Only three... Only three Pitchers who have hit 3,000 are not in the Hall of Fame. And one of them is active. One of them had PED issues. And one of them has made some inappropriate political com- comments. So I think that from a personal standpoint, this is huge. In that it could be the sort of propeller that gets Sale into the Hall of Fame. But right now, in this very moment, in the grand scheme of things, Sale has bigger fish to fry. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you there. But I also think that I sort of have to disagree with you on that one thing that he's going to have to get to 3,500 strikeouts to get the Hall of Fame. I think he's already, if not a first ballot Hall of Famer, guaranteed. I think he's, really? he's guaranteed in there. I think I, I, really? I think he's I think he's a guarantee into the Hall of Fame with the resume that he's built up. Um, really? During the during the regular season, I during the postseason, he's a different player. But I think that during his regular season uh, resume is is comparable to many, if not all, of the pitchers that are in the Hall of Fame right now. Wow, I'm that surprised me because I do think he a uh, big postseason moment would help. I mean, I know striking out Manny Machado, a player whom I strongly dislike, and having him on a knee at the end of the World Series is. Quite memorable, but he never threw the. But he's. It's not like Kirk Gibson's walk-off home run or when Madison Bumgarner threw five shutout innings out of the bullpen in Game Seven and fourteen. So no, I agree. He, need, he needs. He needs to have that a moment. Playoff moment. And he, he, he needs that, and it's. And, and he's, it, he's. I think it's gonna come eventually. Oh, so do I. He's got five years I, left in Boston. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't. I. I hate to say it to you, man, but I don't think that they're, the, the Sox are going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, oh, no, nor do I. But, nor do I. But, yeah. I mean, but as long as we fix the bullpen, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, man, I hope that he figures out what's been going on with him this year. But still, 2,000 strikeouts so fast. What an incredible achievement. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. The home run leaderboard stands thus. 
Cody Bellinger, Mike Trout, Pete Alonso, and Christian Yelich at the top. I believe Bellinger and Trout have a slim lead over those two right now. And then everybody else. All four are at or are going to hit 40 home runs very soon. William, out of these four, in this moment, who would you say is going to hit the most? It's tough, I know. Uh, I want to say, you, you know, you just based off of the resume that he's built up throughout his career, you want to say Trout. You, uh, you want to say that you think that I think he's going to make it, and I think that he will. But I, I, I can't get off of Cody Bellinger. I think Bellinger's going to win this home run, this home run crown this year. Just the consistency that he's been playing with all year round has just been insane. You know, I mean, Yelich, I would say Yelich is doing well, is good, but he's been in a slump lately. And Alonzo, I mean, he's just, he's, he's so young. He's, he's young. Rookie. Still. He's a rookie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of, he's putting up those, he's putting up those Aaron Judge numbers from his rookie year. I forget if that was, I think that was 17. That was 17. It was 17. But, but I mean, it was, it's, it's crazy, and you don't really see that happen very often. I mean, no, you don't, and... If I may add really quickly, Aaron Judge has had a not Aaron Judge year. I think he's only hit 12 home runs and 200 and close to 400. Hold on. Let me do the math. And it, somewhere around 300, close to 300 plate appearances, which is mm-hmm. like, it, which that's is, not Judge-like in terms of at-bats for home run. No, he's not having a great season, which is which is what makes the for me at least, which is what makes the Yankees season on a whole so amazing. Is that oh. they're just they're able to keep bombing all these home runs without him. But and they haven't had Stanton either. No, I know it's it's crazy. Although I don't, I know this is about this is a podcast about college football, but I I don't think that the Red, the Yankees. I think they're going to be sort of like the Celtics, where there's a little bit too much talent to go around, and they're going to have trouble on that or on that lineup come come postseason. Yeah, I could see that knowing knowing full well what that did to the Celtics and not having the Celtics didn't have a great leader. I don't think there's a clear-cut leader on the Yankees either. Mm-hmm. So, that's an inter- that's an interesting point and for my answer in terms of who's going to win, I got to go with Bellinger. I mean, the Dodgers are rolling right now. Bellinger is threatening for the triple crown and what helps this case yeah. is that the batting average leader, Jeff McNeil, just went on the IL, and he could run out of time to where his batting average won't count for the league lead, which could, which could help Bellinger in his threat to in his road to the Triple Crown. So I'm going with Bellinger. He's, the Dodgers have been the best team in the majors all year. Bellinger's been the best player in the majors all year. That's who I'm rolling with. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, I mean, hey, regardless of who wins, it's crazy how many bombs these guys are hitting nowadays. I mean, they just... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a pitch that below the knees inside out of the park yesterday. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm thinking I, I can't wait for yonder uh, Jordan Alvarez, uh, this Astros guy, this guy. Oh, I've Astros. heard about him. I've heard of him. He's 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 unbelievable. Home runs. I mean, he's just he's just hitting home runs left and right. But I mean, it's just crazy. But uh, he's unbelievable. But, yeah, but now let's go on for football. Uh, but first, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some pro football, man. Uh, the NFL reinstated reinstated Patriots wide receiver Josh Gordon conditionally yesterday. Gordon has had numerous chances in the NFL and is getting one more in New England. Liam, you're a Patriots fan. Uh, <laughs> you, you, 
bleed Patriots. So do you think this will work out well for both the Patriots and the NFL? You know what? I think it wouldn't matter for the Patriots because Bill Belichick is so crafty in how he deploys his receivers. I mean, he turned Chris Hogan, who was a no, who was a nobody in the NFL, who would play lacrosse in college, by the way, into a receiver who's now making over ten, over four, fourteen million a year. I think three years, forty-two million. I think was the deal he got with Carolina, and the Patriots wide receiving core would be stacked anyway. We we still got Edelman, Demarius Thomas, and Karen, Cameron Meredith are still on PUP. So if they come back, that can be huge. We still got Dorsett, still got Dontrell Inman, young guy Braxton Barrios. I'm pretty happy about. I'm pretty up on him. But you add Josh Gordon to that list. Are you kidding? This Patriots receiving <laughs> core could be unbelievable if Demarius Thomas and Cameron Meredith get back healthy. I mean, just think about it. You can't double Edelman because you got to cover those three guys too. And I know that I know their tight end situation is a little sketchy right now, but I know Belichick will figure that out. But if Josh Gordon can't stay out of trouble, it's going to look really bad on the NFL because they're giving guys like Tyree Kill, who's been accused of child abuse, a second chance, and they've been giving Josh Gordon numerous chances after. Tons and tons of debate. So I believe that, that if Gordon does not stay out of trouble, it's going to reflect poorly on the NFL and and potentially even their discipline procedures. I agree. Uh, although I do think that it's going to. I think that if he if it doesn't work for him, I think that it's more along his line. Uh, it's going to be more fault upon him than it is against the NFL. Um, and I say that because of this. He's, you think about all the chances he's had in, since he got into a league and how many times the, 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 the shield has sort of been, a, been that shield for him and sort of been sort of protecting him and making sure that he doesn't, that he, when he messes up, he's able to go to get help and all that stuff. And I, I hate, I hate trash talking a guy that obviously has that obviously has problems like yeah. that like the, and they're sad it's a sad it's a oh, it's horrible. situation but i think that eventually you got to draw the line you, the fault has to come and land on your own shoulders and i think that this is this if it, if it doesn't work this time around cuz remember he was on the patriots last yeah, and- couple of weeks and then he got in trouble again. And then he got in trouble, and then he and then the, he was uh, banned or put on the non put on the restricted list or whatever. Yeah, the restricted list. I think that's what it's called. Thank you. But um, yeah. But I mean, it's just I think that if this doesn't work this time around, I think it's going to be on his shoulders, and I think that that's going to be a tough burden for him. But I think also and. You don't hear me complimenting the Patriots very often, but I think that he couldn't be getting going into a, into a better organization to help him. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, succeed. Yeah, uh, I mean, just the amount of help because I mean, you you look back along the lines of all the Patriots players that they've had. I mean, they had Randy Moss who had had some that's who I was thinking of, and he and he went to the Patriots and he, he I mean he straight up turned his image around with the Patriots and. And I think that if I've heard I've heard people say that you know if Josh Gordon works out that it'll be he'll he could be the next Randy Moss I I think that's 
putting too much pressure on him. I think oh, yeah. just let him let him be the best Josh Gordon that he can be on the field, but don't put don't make him feel like he has to do any more than he than he than he really has to. And hey, man, I'm I'm rooting for him. Not just because I'm a Patriots fan, but I'm rooting for him. Now we will get into college football. We will discuss nine big names, te- big name teams today. Before we predict who will win the Heisman and who we'll see in the playoff come late December, the first team we'll talk about is the Alabama Crimson Tide. Fresh off of a blowout loss in the title game to Clemson, Tua Tagovailoa enters his junior season motivated with a stacked receiving core, including Episcopal High School product Jalen Waddle. William, do you think the title game loss will affect Tua's confidence, though? That's something I did not expect to hear today. Wide receiver in the Heisman race. It's normally quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. But I really don't think it can affect to his confidence too much, knowing that he has all that talent around him. I mean, you think you look at the names that Alabama has produced over the years: Trent Richardson, Tyron Matthew. I mean, Derrick Henry, I believe, went to Alabama. So it's a it's an NFL powerhouse. I mean. Not in the way that Oklahoma has had two first-round quarterbacks drafted, but most of the guys on Alabama teams usually end up in the NFL as quality role players. I mean, I really couldn't name a big-name star in the NFL that went to Alabama, but I really think well, that... Julio Jones, I mean... He went to Alabama? Yeah, yeah. I did not I know... He, I'm, uh, I'll, I'm, 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 it was a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure he went to Bama. Man, I did I did not know that. And but I really don't think that Nick Saban's crew has a lot to worry about. No, I agree with you there. But now let's focus a little bit more on that team that beat Alabama, Clemson, and specifically let's think about uh, 
quarterback Trevor Lawrence and that team and as a whole. You, you see, they enter the season as defending champs for the second time in three years. Uh, Dabo Sweeney and his team will look to make it three and four. But Liam, do you see Clemson having any sort of championship hangover? So, Trevor Lawrence was a true freshman. On the biggest stage, he outdueled the quarterback that pulled off one of the most improbable comebacks in college football history a year prior in the championship game. For that reason, no, I don't see any championship hangover. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence has already proven that he can be big time when Dabo Swinney needs him to be big time. And for that reason, I have no reason to believe that Clemson is going to suffer a championship hangover in the way that the Red Sox obviously have this season. Because I believe that Lawrence is going to be a front runner for the Heisman this year, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Clemson and Alabama met up in the playoff again. Oh no, I think that the I agree with you there. I think that people coining it the Clemson and Alabama Invitational is just the truth of of the college football playoff system right now. Um, and I I have to agree. If I think the I think if the the point the part of the team of Clemson that's going to have the most um, that's going to have the most uh, setback is going to be the defense. Um, I think because you think about they lost pretty much almost their entire defensive line in the in this past NFL draft, and I think that their defense is going to have a little bit of a hangover. But I oh, think absolutely. that the I think that the offense is going to steamroll over anyone. Um, I think that Trevor Lawrence, I agree with you, I think that he's the next... Maybe even be the next Deshaun Watson. I mean, there's there's really no comparisons that you can really draw to. I mean, I've heard people say he's like a Peyton Manning type thing, but he's more mobile than, than Peyton was. And... I think he even has a little bit better of an arm than Peyton did. But oh, I really? That, I think he's a little bit more accurate on the down on the downfield throws. But I think that Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, I don't see them having a hangover. No, uh, like you, they they just beat they beat a team that came into the season as the over, can, complete overwhelming favorites to win the championship, and there was no reason at all why they why Bama should have lost last year, except for the fact that Clemson got in their way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it has been a rocky two years for the Georgia Bulldogs, what with blowing the 2018 championship to Alabama, and then more recently blowing the SEC championship to Alabama, and then losing the Sugar Bowl to Texas, of all teams. Jake Fromm showed promise as a freshman, but he has yet to bring them a trophy. William, can Fromm and the Bulldogs make the leap? I think if I was a Georgia fan, I would be... I would not be optimistic. I I think that I would be more upset that... Um, and I'm blinking on the name of the quarterback that transferred from... Clint, that transferred, uh, that was sitting behind um, Fromm. Uh, I think he's now at Ohio State. Uh, but Sounds right. I think that I would have liked him more than I would do like Fromm right now. Um, I don't see I don't see Georgia making the jump. I think that the the SEC 
East is going to be a lot more difficult this year to come out of. Um, and I think that the SEC as a whole is going to be a lot di- more difficult. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they also played Clemson during the regular season this year. Let's see. Um, and I think so. I think that that's going to be a that's going to be a guaranteed loss on their record. And so I just I don't see them making that jump. Oh um, uh, no, they actually don't play Clemson. Oh, they, okay, so they don't have Clemson on their record this year. Um, Thank God for them. Yeah, uh, I knew. I know they play. I know that the Aggies go to go to town to, at the end of the season against them, and I think that that's yeah. going to be a very November twenty third, A M at Georgia, very big game. I think that that's going to be a big game. Uh, in regarding who's going to win that, who's going to win the SEC East? I think that if A and M wins that game, I think Georgia. There's no way that they win that SEC East, but if they but if they if Georgia can win that game against A and M at the end of the season, I think that they are if they're if they are in the running, I think that they will run away with the SEC East. But I just don't see I don't see Fromm and Kirby Smart and that Georgia Bulldog team making that jump. All right, so um, I oh you weren't done. What about you? I mean, do you th- do you think there's any way that they can make that jump? All right, so the beginning of their schedule doesn't appear to be too difficult. I mean, at Vanderbilt, that's not going to be easy, but. Home against Murray State, home against Arkansas State, and then home against Notre Dame. That's going to be a make-or-break game for them. Then they got at Tennessee, home against South Carolina, home against Kentucky. Then we get into the tough stretch. At Florida, home against Missouri, which I got accepted into yesterday. Whoop whoop. At hey, Auburn, thank you. At Auburn, then home against Texas Tech. That stretch of four games, four good SEC opponents, is going to determine. What happens in with what happens to Georgia season this year? Because if they can't find a way to beat those big name teams, then how are they going to beat Alabama in the title game? If they even make it that far? Yeah, I mean, and I know this is a, this is going to be a really hot take, but I I like I really really like Missouri. I think that that's that's probably the toughest team on that list that you just named that Georgia's going to have to play. I think that Missouri is going to stun a lot of people this year. Because you forget that they that now they have Kelly Bryant there as their quarterback. Oh, that's where he transferred. He transferred to Missouri. I didn't realize that until a couple days ago. Um, and so he transferred there. That's he, that's big. And and they they essentially have the same offense as they did last year with Drew Locke, just with a better just with a different type of uh, quarterback behind the wheel. And one that's a little bit more of a fast-paced, that enjoyed that fast pace that he had at Clemson. And so I think that Missouri is going to be a team to really settle it there. But I, uh, I think that uh, you're right, that that stretch is going to really um, make or break him. Make or break that team. Um, no, but now let's move on to the team that Georgia lost to on New Year's Day. Uh Thanks to a spark created by Sam Ellinger uh, during the Sugar Bowl, the rambunctious Longhorn fans have been proclaimed uh, themselves as back. Horns uh, down! Yeah. Uh, Liam, do you think this proclamation seriously, or do you think Texas is just going to fall back into that mediocrity and sort of underwhelming? Uh, well, let's, well, let's take a look season. at this schedule. I mean, 
Their first game is against some dopey school called La Tech, which plays Rice frequently. It's the only reason I know they exist. I mean, that should... Why, why is a big-name school like UT scheduling games against La Tech, and then two weeks later against my Rice Owls at NRG Stadium? That comes... That is... Per, that looks to me as very soft and petty. And it tells me that UT doesn't want to be playing against big-name schools. And, oh, by the way, they get a home matchup against LSU one week later. And I, I believe that in that game, we're going to see what UT is truly made of. Either they're going to prove they are back by beating LSU and SEC school, or they're going to get their butts handed to them by an SEC powerhouse. And that will prove to the doubters that UT is not back. And then four weeks... Five weeks after that, they got the Red River rivalry game in Austin. That's another big one. And then after that, it's a lot of easy uh, games they should win. I mean, home against Kansas, TCU, Kansas State, Iowa State, mm-hmm. Baylor, Texas Tech. So, I'm highlighting these two games on the schedule. Home against LSU and home against Oklahoma. They're very lucky they have both these games at home. I'm going to tell you that right now. And if UT can't win one or both of them, then I see no reason to believe that they're back. since um, Matt Brown stepped away and since Colt, really since Colt McCoy graduated um, they have never they've been sort of underwhelming but huh. that said I think that UT they're, they're a dark horse team I think that at least for the beginning of the season I think that up until that LSU game they're going to be a dark horse team um, and it's just one game up until that LSU game yeah, and I, and I think that it's because of its. I think that it, they sort of lucked out with their scheduling because of the fact that it's so early in the season. Because uh, if they lose that game, they can still they can still turn it around and and make a, and run the table then and make a chance have a chance to get into that playoffs into the playoffs. But I I just I don't know what to think of UT because Ellinger while he is talented while he's that spark he's at the same time he's wildly inconsistent if you watch any of their games he's he really doesn't turn it on until the fourth quarter um he's sort of like a Tebow in, in, in the Bron- at the Broncos type <laughs> of player where he just he's sort of Coasts through the first still quarters, thing? and then he turns it on. Yeah, but, man. Um, but I just I don't know. I I don't see. I think that that Oklahoma game is going to be a gig, a big big game. I oh, think absolutely. That the, the Oklahoma the Red River rivalry is going to be a good game, and I I think Oklahoma is still going to be a good team this year. Uh, well, funny enough, we're about to talk about them. In the footsteps of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, the past two Heisman winners. Jalen Hurts is going to take the reins for Lincoln Riley Sooners after three years at Alabama. Oklahoma has been a quarterback powerhouse the past two years. William, do you see Hurts replicating this success? I don't. I Jalen Hurts is a different type of quarterback than Baker or 
uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, um, absolutely. Baker was that gunslinger. He just would throw the ball all over the field, and he had no he had no regards for human life in that sense. And then Kyler was able to pretty much just run around the entire field until someone got open, and then throw it. And he had a he has a cannon for an arm, but. At, at Bama, Jalen Hurts was uh, has been a lot more of that short passing game, and that's not really what what Lincoln Riley's offense is really tailored for. At least we, at least that's not what we've seen it been tailored for. No, I think that I think that this season is going to be big for Jalen Hurts, but I also think it's going to be big for Lincoln Riley if uh, because you, you remember Lincoln Riley is there's been talks about him making that next leap to the NFL. But I think that if he can't make it, if he can't tra- if he can't change an offense to fit around a, a different style of quarterback, then I don't see him making that leap very successfully. Um, at the same time, I think that it is going to be a big, big, uh, a very interesting team to look at this year. I think Oklahoma. I think their defense last year was a big weakness, and I think that that defense is going to come out with a little bit more fire. Um, Absolutely. Because there were, because they were, they can, all throughout the entire season, they were continually criticized for not playing. And I think that that's, that's going to light, that has to light a fire under, under the belly of a team. Oh, absolutely. And, well, I'm going to make this point quite clear quickly. Oklahoma does not have a difficult schedule. I mean, the first weekend, home against Houston, should win that game, then, at UCLA a few weeks later, at Texas a few weeks later. But other than that, it's not all that difficult. And for that reason, I see Hurts having a lot of success at Oklahoma, but I don't see him replicating the success of the likes of Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. I mean, don't get me wrong, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are once-in-a-generation talents. And I just don't see Jalen Hurts as that. I mean, in the 2018 championship game, we saw him stumble, and... Alabama had to be rescued by Tua because of it, thus creating the saga. But, and I really think that affected Jalen Hurts' confidence, unfortunately. And for that reason, I just can never see him being up there in that upper echelon of college, of Oklahoma quarterbacks, up there with Baker and Kyler. Mm-hmm. I, 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 can, I can agree to that point. Um, so let's make a little bit of a transition from the Big 12 to the Big 10, though. Um, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they lost Urban Meyer to retirement for now and replaced him with Ryan Day. Meyer has been coached there for eight years, and it's not exactly easy to replace a coach with his experience and knowledge of the game. Um, Liam, how big of a loss is a, is, is a Meyer, is Meyer for a Buckeyes team? It's huge because great coaches in college football nowadays are scarce. I mean... When I think of great football coaches, I think of Belichick, Lombardi, guys like John Harbaugh, the Harbaugh's, one of whom is in college, by the way. But the art of a great coach is becoming very scarce because the best college ones leave for the NFL, and it's hard to find good ones anymore. I mean, the only two for sure fire great college coaches right now are Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. And now that Urban Meyer is gone, it's huge for Ohio State because now they don't have a coach up in that upper echelon in the in the Saban, Swinney, Harbaugh, more on him later category. So 
I think it's a huge loss for Ohio State. I mean, I'm looking, I'm trying to get to their schedule right now. Let's see, it doesn't, it's not too fairly difficult. I mean, their first tough game is their sixth game at home against Michigan State. Then they're at Northwestern. Then they're, then the week on the 23rd of November, they're home against Penn State. And then, then there's their make or break game at at Michigan. So I think that it's going to be a very tough season for Ohio State in that they need to adapt to not having Urban Meyer. I agree. I think that, like you said, the the art of a great college football coach has sort of fallen to the wayside, sadly. I think that there aren't many great college football coaches anymore. There, there are good ones, but there aren't great ones like Urban Meyer and uh, Saban and Sweeney. Um, and I think you, I think you, because of the resume, I think you also have to sort of throw in um, um, Jimbo Fisher. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that specifically for Ohio State, I think that losing Urban Meyer is going to be. I don't think it's going to show this season, but I think that it's going to show in the, in the upcoming in the upcoming years with the with the recruiting, uh, especially. Especially in that, um, especially with that region, with them also having Michigan in that area as well. Absolutely, absolutely, man. I see every word of that. All right. Well, now for Ohio State's arch rival, the Michigan Wolverines have been very disappointing throughout Jim Harbaugh's tenure. They were in prime position to make the playoff last year before getting blown out by Ohio State shortly after Thanksgiving. Before his first season in 2015. Harbaugh promised the national title, and he hasn't even won a Big Ten title yet, Will. So can Harbaugh at least do that this year? I think that this year is a make-or-break year for Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan. And I think that, but I also think that they are going to win a Big Ten uh, title. I think that Michigan fans can finally start getting that, um, getting their party and their celebrations ready because I think that that time is about to come. I think that Michigan has the strength of a team that can do it and I think that Shea Patterson in his second year uh, at Michigan is going to be a little bit more consistent hopefully Um, and I think that Jim Harbaugh knows what he has to do and I think he's going to deliver it. no reason why they can't make that leap um, and I think that it's only a matter of time uh, before they can finally do it. I mean they were so close last year and then they ran into a problem they weren't expecting in Ohio State and got their butts handed to them so I really think that Jim Harbaugh and his team definitely should have I'll be it'll be widely Disappointing if they didn't learn a lot from that experience against Ohio State. I think that their players are motivated. I mean, I know they lost some guys, including Chase Winovich, who is now on the New England Patriots. Go Pats, baby. And I really think that Harbaugh, having gone through, coming so close, and then just seeing it fall completely from the grasp of a playoff berth, I really think that this is the year Harbaugh can make the leap. And 
I've never liked Michigan, and so unfortunately, I'm not happy to say it, but I think they'll at least win a Big Ten title game and be in contention for the playoff. I agree. Um, now, next up is UCF. Uh, oh the self-proclaimed national champions uh, of a few years ago uh, went undefeated in the regular season again last year before matching up with an SEC powerhouse in LSU in a Fiesta Bowl and losing mercilessly. Or mercifully. Liam, do you see UCF going undefeated again, and can they beat a big conference team in the bowl game this time around? Well, first of all, I'm going to say yes, they are going to go undefeated because their schedule is not difficult. Florida A&M at Florida Atlantic, home against Stanford. That'll be a tough one, but I think they'll win. At Pittsburgh, UConn, the basketball school. At Cincinnati, also a basketball school. East Carolina, at Temple, home against UH. Tough one, but they should still win. At Tulsa, at Tulane, and then South Florida with Charlie Strong. Any SEC team would go undefeated with that schedule. I can, I guarantee it right here, right now. So I think UCF is going to go undefeated, but there are no, and I mean no, big names in that schedule. And we saw UCF had their steam run out against LSU in the Fiesta Bowl last year. And for that reason, I cannot see them beating a Georgia, or a Texas, or a Michigan in a bowl game. I, I just can't see it. They need a tougher schedule. They need to get out of the A-American and potentially even into the SEC. I just, no. No. I agree. Uh, I think that, I think that, although I think that a jump to the SEC would be a little bit uh, fortuitous, I think the ACC is a little bit more uh, up, their style, up their lane. Um... I think that they would they would be able to compete well with the Louisvilles and the Clemsons of the of the ACC and the Dukes and the North Carolinas. But that said, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't see them. I see them going undefeated, but I do not see them making a big um, splash in the bowl season. Um, because you remember, they still don't have uh, Mackenzie Milton. He, since he's not going to be back again this year. He's their quarterback that led them to that undefeated season. And last season, towards the end of the season, he suffered a devastating leg injury, and, his, and he's not going to be able to be back this season. And while they do have a couple of quarterbacks on that roster, there's no one that they have that's that that offense was suited and tailored for McKenzie Milton. And I just don't see them be, being able to transition and make that offense something other something that's not. So I think I have to agree with you there that I don't see them. Um, beating a big conference team in the bowl game unless they luck out and come face-to-face with a, con- with a big conference team that is not successful. Like, if they were to come up against an Iowa State, I could see them beating them, but I don't see them beating uh, any of the blue bloods of the college football. Self-proclaimed national champions. How about that? Well, the last team we'll talk about is Notre Dame. The team known for stumbling in big games did just that in the playoffs. They got... Destroyed by Clemson. This came years after getting destroyed by Alabama in the championship before the new playoff format commenced. William, should Notre Dame get back to the playoffs? Do you see them overcoming their big game woes? I I see them overcoming their big game woes, but I don't think they're going to make the playoff. I think that until they decide, until Notre Dame decides that it is in their best interest to join a conference and not be independent, I, I think that the that they are 
they have everything lined up against them in this co- in the college football oh, playoff. For sure. Uh, in the college football playoff um, era, um, I, I just I just I don't think that they're going to be able to make it. I think that I. And, you know, I said, I, I, I think I actually overstepped myself when I said that they will overcome their big game woes. I don't think that they're going to, I think they'll be more consistent, but I don't know if they'll be able to be like a Notre Dame team that is going to completely win every single big game. Um, I think that they'll, they'll be more along the lines of, they'll be in the game, but I don't think they're going to be able to win all their big games like they used to in the past. I mean, you made a point about Notre Dame not being in a conference. I mean, that's just horrible. I mean, I think it's a down player for Notre Dame. I mean, and as much as I, lo- as much as I love the movie Rudy, great movie, they need to get themselves in the conference. And the answer to the question about big games will be proven on October 26th. When they go to Ann Arbor to battle the Michigan Wolverines. That's by far and away the biggest game of the year for them. That'll I, be a big game. I think that'll ultimately determine if we see either Notre Dame or Michigan in the playoffs. If we'll see either one of them there. Because if one of them gets blown out, we know we'll see one of them. But if it's a close game, I don't believe we'll be seeing either of them in the playoffs. So I think I it's, agree. So I think that that specific game, October 26th against Michigan, that's going to tell us... If Notre Dame is for real. Put it on the calendars. Um, well, next up, the one versus four matchup, the Fiesta Bowl, will be played on December 28th, just outside of Phoenix. Liam, who you got playing and earning a battle with... Um, the other winner? With blank. Alright, so, in my one versus four matchup, and, oh, let me just set this right here. Since the committee doesn't decide where the 2 versus 3 and 1 versus 4 matchups are until December, I just put the 1 versus 4 in the Fiesta Bowl and the 2 versus 3 in the Fiesta Bowl because why not, am I right? Now, I'm, yeah. I'm going to put the Clemson Tigers in number 1 because they should be number 1 and I think they're going to go undefeated because they're national champ- defending champions. And in the 4, this may surprise you, I'm going to put the Georgia Bulldogs at number 4. <laughs> I think that they're going to not make the SEC championship game. And by virtue of an Alabama winning that game, they'll still only have one loss. Whereas I think the loser of that championship game will end up with two. So I think that the committee will end up favoring them and put them at four. And I have Clemson winning. I see no reason to believe that Jake Fromm can overcome Trevor Lawrence and his wondrous capabilities. I'm taking I'm taking Clemson by a score of 35 to 17. Well, that was a hot take with Georgia. I'll give you that much. Um, I agree with you can wholeheartedly on the number one choice. I think Clemson's going to be the unanimous number one choice all throughout the entire season. And I don't think that there's any way that they don't make it. Um... I'm looking at the rankings on the at the preseason rankings right now that the coaches poll put out, and there's no uh, there's no team in that range from four to ten that I really like a lot um, any more than any of the other teams. I'll put it that way. So I'll just go ahead and I'm I 
you say Georgia, I'll put, um, I think that Michigan. I, Michigan? I, I actually, you know what, I have, I have faith in Michigan this year. I think that Shea Patterson's going to make a big leap, and I think that John Harbaugh knows what he has to do, um, especially with, with all the pressure that's going to be in Ann Arbor this year. And so I think that that's going to be a team that is going to, um, I think that Michigan will run the table. I think that this season, I think that they'll, or at least at least only get through it with one loss. And so I think that that's a team that I can definitely see making the, um, the college football playoff. So do you got Clemson winning that game, though? Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt. I think it'll be a close game, but I think that uh, Clemson... We'll probably. I think that it'll be close at halftime, but I think Clemson will pull away uh, in the third quarter, and then Michigan will make a strong charge in the fourth quarter. But I think Clemson will win it. Probably, I'll go forty-five to. Let's say forty-five to thirty. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to the two versus three game, which we set at the Peach Bowl. On December 28th in Atlanta. William, which two teams you got playing and who you got facing Clemson in the championship? I got Bama and I got... Um, I think... I honestly do think that there's a team out of the SEC East that is going to make a charge, but it's not who you think it is. It's going to be uh, Florida. I really? Gonna be, I, I think Florida is going to be very good this year. I think that they're going to their defense last year was young, and they were and they were good, and now they have one more year under their belt. And I think Florida's going to win the SEC East, and so I see Florida coming out and getting into that two, and making it a two versus three matchup. Um, although, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back and fix my one versus four matchup. I think four is going to end up being Florida. Just because I think the committee's not going to want to see another uh, oh, Florida SEC game another two weeks after the SEC championship. So I think it'll be Clemson versus Florida as the one versus four matchup. Same score, forty-five to thirty-five, I think. But I think that the so I think that number two, the two-three matchup will be Bama versus Michigan, and I think that Bama Bama's going to win that game. Uh, I'll go. Although I think it'll be a lot tighter than anything. I think it'll probably be uh, forty-five to forty-two. You like the high, you like the high-scoring games, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. Now in this, two- I, just, I just think that that's the that's the era that we're living now with uh, college football. I think that the offenses are so overpowering. Personal. Insane. I think it's it's like what we were talking about earlier in baseball, where just the ball, the base, the, there are just so many more home runs than any than ever before, and I think that it's going to be like that in college football, where there's just going to be so many more touchdowns than ever before. Nah, absolutely. And I have Alabama, and they'll be seeing a familiar face in their two versus three game in Jalen Hurts and the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, <laughs> I think that Jalen Hurts will crack under pressure the same way he did in the 2018 championship game against Georgia. And for that reason, I've got Alabama running away with it by a final of 35-7. to seven. Well... Oh, wow, seven. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and wow. So, now we've predicted who's playing in the game. We both got Bama Clemson for a fifth straight year in the playoff. 
We'll discuss an individual an individual award next, Will. Who you got winning the Heisman Trophy this season? I personally I don't know. Um, I think that there's a good shot that um, that Trevor Lawrence will be there uh, at the award ceremony. Um, and I think that there's a good shot that Tua will be there as well. I think that um, there's a player out down there in, um, at, at, up there at Oregon that I think is going to be Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. I think that Justin Herbert's going to be in that conversation as well. He sort of fell off towards the end of the season last year, and I think that's probably why he decided to come back his, for another year. Um as opposed to declaring last year. And I think that Justin Herbert, I think, is going to actually win the Heisman. I, really? I, I really think that there's no... Because there's no other team in the Pac-12 that... Or Pac-10 now, is it? It's Pac-12. the Pac... I don't know which one. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I just, I just, it's, it's over there in the West. Uh, there's no other team over there that they can... That can compete with Oregon. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and there's no team that they really play that isn't in the Pac-12 that I see them having trouble with. I mean, they play Auburn the first week of the season, but as we've seen before, the first week of the season can doesn't hurt you uh, very often with yeah. the Heisman Trophy. Um, you can, I mean, you can look back all the way back to Johnny Manziel when he was at A&M and he came on and they, they lost to Florida in the first week. Um, so I think that I, I have I have uh, I, I actually have Justin Herbert winning the Heisman this year. Mitchell Mostyn's going to be very happy to hear that. Now that he's at Oregon, <laughs> and I want to say Jalen Hurts because of the whole Oklahoma quarterback thing, but I'm not going to. So I am going to say Trevor Lawrence, simply basing it off the fact that Clemson is going to be the best team throughout the regular season this year, and they'll be number one the whole way, barring any setbacks. And for that reason, I'm. It's a gut feeling, man, and I'm going with Clemson. I think it's. I mean, I. I it's a, that's a safe bet. I think that there's no. I think that this is going to be the season where, if you if the, you have if you're in doubt of anything, I think that if you just say, "Oh yeah, Clemson," I think that you're going to be more often than not correct. Um, yeah. I think that Clemson is. I mean, I know that we're sort of moving, we're moving along, and I think that just that championship game, though, uh, who you got playing in and winning the national championship game this year? All right, so I have Bama and Clemson meeting in the championship game for the fourth time in five years, and for the fifth straight year in the college football playoff. It's been rotating Bama, Clemson, Bama, Clemson. But this year it's going to be Bama, Clemson, Bama, Clemson, and then Bama. I think that Tuatago Vailoa and his core are motivated to sort of usurp Clemson from the position they came so close to getting last year. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be similar to the game that was two and a half years ago when Deshaun Watson led them on that crazy comeback. And then got drafted by the Texans. So I'm going to say 35-28 Alabama. 
unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think that Bama is going to win the championship this year. I think that they're they they're just a more complete team, and they're returning a much they're returning more of a team than Clemson is this year. Yep. Um, I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to have another monster game in a championship game, but I think that he's there's going to be one play where whether it be a special teams play or a um, or a defensive play that is going to win the game for Bama. And I wouldn't be surprised if I wake up the next day and I or if, if I'm watching when I'm watching that game to see Jalen Waddle return a punt for a touchdown. Uh, Absolutely. I, I would not be surprised to see that at all. That's represent. Um, but I think that you're right when you say that Alabama is going to be motivated, and I think that that's the biggest thing in these games now between Alabama and Clemson because they're so familiar with each other. Both both coaches, all the coaching staff know how their team, how the teams are going to be playing, and I think that the biggest thing is going to come down to the players and how motivated they are to win. And I think Bama is going to have the have the edge on that one. Absolutely. So I think, you're, I think I'm I'm going to have to join you when I say that Bam is going to be back on top this come the end of this college football season. Um, and for a score, you know, I'll go. Um, I'm actually going to go pretty low. I think it'll be 35-27. One point um, off for me. I said 35-28. Oh uh, yeah. One I point think, off. I think that. Uh, I think that. There's going to be a missed field goal, a missed extra point for Clemson. I think that they'll miss an extra point. Wow. Yeah. Or, no, correction. I think that they'll go for two, and I, th- and I don't think they'll get it. Yeah, okay, okay. So they'll be down 28-21. They'll score a touchdown, try to take the lead and fail. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 crazy to think that the college football season is already around, upon us, but I, I I cannot wait to see what this season holds, because there's always, there's always a team that, that comes out of nowhere, especially with this college football playoff format, and that's why I love it, is that there's a team that comes out of nowhere that's always, always going to be either making a, making a change or causing someone to not be in it or anything like that. And I think that that's going to be the most exciting thing this season. And hopefully Rice wins a couple of games too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, right. I mean, there you have it, folks. I mean, our 2019 college football predictions are in. And with that, folks, that's all we have today for William Butler joining the show again. Thank you so much, William. That was great. I'm Liam Thank Griffin. You. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Next week, in the second of three football special episodes, our 2019 fantasy football episode, myself, Will Arntzen, defending champ Michael McGinnis, and one more person will all join the show as we draft teams for the 2019 fantasy football season. Want the last spot? Let me know soon. It will fill up quickly. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.